worst thing that I want to say so bad. Do it. Hello and good evening. How you doing today, Pat? Uh, not so bad, not so bad. You know, another day in paradise. I believe we have a quite a fantastic show for you all this evening. Oh, this is going to be a wild one. Oh, yes. Well, uh, there's no real reason to dawdle. Please lay it on me, brother. Well, today we are not actually doing a musician. Oh, my God. This is... <sighs> We're okay. doing a music producer. Oh, okay. All right, all right. A quite infamous music producer, you might say. Oh, yeah? His name is Phil Spector. Yes. Uh, it's a name that most people like recognize, even though they have no idea who he is. The songs that he produced, you've definitely heard before. Yeah, uh, at least a very large share of them. That's for fucking sure. They're in a massive amount of movies. <laughs> <laughs> if it's like a movie taking place in like the 50s or something, you've yeah. definitely heard them. Yeah, exactly. Especially these these look back movies, a lot of them get replayed over and over again. And so Philip Harvey Specter was born on December 26, 1939 or Christmas Day, 1940 in Bronx, New York City. That's kind of two very weirdly specific dates, if you really think about it. It's like either this random date a year before or the next year on exactly a, a holiday. All the biographies were either this day or that day. Oh, well, there you go. And he's the son of Benjamin and Bertha Specter. <laughs> <laughs> That's a funny combo date. Benjamin and Bertha. <laughs> and, you know, they were a lower middle class Jewish family in the Bronx. His grandfather would immigrate from Russia with the surname Spectre, but with a K instead of a C. That's pretty cool. That's a cool uh, like spelling of the or of the name Spectre. I know he should have just kept that as yeah. his like producer name. Hell yeah! But just Spectre. Yeah, that could be his DJ name. <laughs> yeah. DJ Spectre. DJ Spectre, <laughs> or just Spectre. Like you know, like the the prince's name is just a symbol. <laughs> He's Spectre. <laughs> And so, unfortunately, when he was about nine years old, his father would kill himself. Oh, that's not as good. No, off to a rocky start here. And so, like, three or four years later, his times were a little weird, especially since, you know, he's got two birthdays. Yeah. Uh, his mom would move him to Los Angeles, California in 1953. And in L.A., this is where he would find his love of music. He'd learn how to play guitar, and by 16 had performed at a talent show at Fairfax High School and joined a loosely knit community of aspiring musicians in the area. Hell yeah. And with three other friends from high school, Marshall Leave, Harvey Goldstein, and singer Annette Kleinberg, yeah. they would form the group The Teddy Bears. Oh, yeah. A name derived from an Elvis Presley song. Fuck yeah. Oh, so that that's the because we watched that video of them playing. Is he the the tall, stocky weirdo or the guy playing guitar? I can't remember which one he is in the video, but I'm pretty sure the ta tall, stocky weirdo one because he's a weird looking dude. Yeah, he was like distinctly taller than anyone else in the band. So, 
But while he was doing the teddy bears, he would start spending time visiting a local recording studio, and he would end up coming to know the co-owner of Gold Star Studios in Hollywood, Stan Ross. Oh, yeah. And Ross would introduce him to the craft of record production, and, you know, he'd start to tutor him. That's super cool. And by early 1959, Phil Spector and his teddy bears had scraped together enough money to rent some studio time at Gold Star. Oh, yeah. Supposedly, it was like 40 bucks. <laughs> they had scraped it together. The good old times when three people <laughs> had to scrape together $40. 40 bucks goes a long ways in the 50s, That apparently. is true. I mean, it is the goddamn 50s. It's weird to think about that. That was 70 years ago now. It doesn't seem that long, but sweet God, it is. Well, maybe that's because, you know, it's a lot more of a recorded history in terms of, like, video and audio and stuff like that, you know, where, like, the 1850s seem a lot farther away. Yeah, they seem almost archaic, even though they're not that much farther beyond it, just because we don't have as much recorded history. Yeah. I'm sure that'll always kind of be a separation, even when we move forward, like, recorded history is going to be a whole new era. So once we started, like, actually recording sounds and... uh video and stuff i think that's just gonna be a whole new era history it'll be interesting to see what i guess we won't see but it'll be interesting to think what (laughs) future people will seem of all of our crazy amounts of news media and stuff yeah no it's it is kind of interesting to think about that a hundred years from now people looking back like just kind of seeing what we were all about like these people were fucking crazy (laughs) they didn't know what was going on historians are going to be like looking at people's like cell phone videos and shit from a hundred years ago (laughs) what the fuck and so they're in the studio they would record one song don't you worry my little pets oh so that 40 dollars got them enough time to record one song one song but on the strength of this song They would end up getting a record deal with the label Door Records. They were, you know, brand new at the time. Yeah. They were basically one of their early artists. They had a four-record deal, but, you know, we'll we'll see how many records they get. Yeah. (laughs) It always starts with a big number of record deals, but you never get to the end unless you're super badass. And so in this first session, Spectre would actually demonstrate his studio management instincts He would play all the instruments on the song and would act as his own producer. Hey, that's fucking cool. I mean, saving the studio money, right? Yeah, exactly. Nah, nah, you don't need to hire musicians. I got it. No, no, no. We don't need a producer. I got it. Yeah, just you guys just all go home. We're fine. And so their next song was To Know Him Is To Love Him. The title of the song was inspired by the inscription on his father's tombstone. Oh, that was what it was on his father's tombstone was yeah. to know him was to love him. That's pretty awesome. And so Door, you know, the record label, would end up mailing out like 500 copies of the single to like radio stations all across America. Yeah, how'd it do? Not great. <laughs> no. In fact, two of the members of the group would quit, Goldstein and Lieb, and they go back to college. Oh. Just leaving two left, right? Yeah. One of them being Spectre. Yep. Although in September... A disc jockey in Fargo would end up playing it, and soon an order came into the door offices from a Minneapolis distributor requesting 18,000 copies. Oh, shit. Within a week, the song was on the national music charts, and the teddy bears were invited to appear on American Bandstand, 
on October 29th, 1959. That's huge. Like, American Bandstand's such a big pedigree for that era. <laughs> yeah, that's like a make-it move right there. And that's the first time we've ever actually saw, like, the reality of it, which is, in this era, uh, distributors had a lot of power in who got famous and who didn't. You know, and, and the radio. Look, look at it got one play on the radio. Yeah. And well, people and I, loved it, and all of a sudden it becomes a mega hit. Well, and I think that is kind of like the seed that happens because, you know, then the, everyone hears it on the radio and then it's they have to find who which distributor is the person who, you know, has it so they can get it in their music uh, store or whatever it is. And that kind of causes whichever distributor to get to it first. It's like a gold mine. So it's kind of an interesting little aspect of the uh, industry that you really don't get to explore very often. Well, and so after this appearance on American Bandstand... To Know Him Is To Love Him would become the number one pop song in the nation. Hell yeah. And that's the power of that show, right? Yep. American Bandstand itself just carried so much clout. This song would sell more than a million copies before Christmas. Now remember, it was just in September when they were, you know, just making it big in Minneapolis. Oh, wow, yeah. That's 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 how fast it could go. That's only a few months and suddenly it's like a big-ass deal. And they would even go on, like, the Perry Como show, you know, get all over the place, you know, tour. Hell yeah. And so, first dude, check out this song. Yeah, to well, know him is to love him by the Teddy Bears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which is uh, a fantastic jam. Yeah, all of these songs are going to be, you know, on the softer, poppier, lovey-dovey side. Yeah, this is definitely that era in the 50s. You know, this is like the only kind of stuff that could really compete with rock and roll at the time, you know? Yeah, exactly. Because it was, you know, if you didn't like rock and roll, you like this super, you know, gushy love song. But, you know, we all know which one's cooler. The gushy love songs. And so with all this success, the teddy bears would separate in 1959 because Phil Spector wanted to be a music producer. Oh, shit. He saw where <laughs> the real money was. And so he would return to Los Angeles. And, you know, solely dedicate to producing music, writing music, whatever, you know, just w- the whole spectrum that's involved with yeah. the, with the production. And so when he was 18 years old, he would catch the eye of veteran producer Lester Sill, who would arrange for him to collaborate with Jerry Lieber and Mike Stroller, and they'd co-write the Benny King hit song, Spanish Harlem. Oh, shit. This is a song that I think probably has the whitest, like, I, people who have probably like heard it, you know, yeah. out of our fans. I don't know. Cause there is a couple other ones actually, now that yeah. I think about it, that are pretty big, but at least this one's going to be our first one. That's going to be highly recognizable. And so in 1961, Spectre and Sill would form Phillies records. Their slogan tomorrow sound today. Oh yeah. Like a <laughs> futuristic thing. I just see their heads in those little, uh, little sci-fi bubbles. they've got an astronaut on the cover with the thumbs up (laughs) this is how you make love now on the future roof thing aka the moon yeah the moon the future roof that's what i call the moon obviously (laughs) and so specter would just like devote like every amount of attention he had to this record label yeah you know he would help do all the production and all the promotion and in 10 months, it would finally pay off with a number one hit, He's a Rebel by The Crystals, which, you know, is basically a group, all-female yeah. group they formed. Yeah, The Crystals is uh, is one of those jams that are the 
songs that we listened to from the crystals those jams were like super super good oh and there's gonna be several of them too yeah and those beehive haircuts guys they got the beehives just letting you know (laughs) that was popular back then hell yeah shit my grandma rocked the beehive haircut for a long long time hell yeah (laughs) i love it when people wear the haircuts for like outside of the era just because they like personally like the haircut style for like longer so like my my aunt wore the 80s poofy hair up until probably (laughs) 2000 i think (laughs) i just don't want to let it go man yeah i mean hey if if a haircut you know matches you go for it and that's why I don't have one. Yeah, because you... Never mind, I'm <laughs> I not... I got no personality. <laughs> Is that what you were going to say? No, of course not, Ian. I would never make such <laughs> outlandish claims in front, of, in front of our endearing fans. It's true. They know it's true. They've had to be here, Ian. And listen. <laughs> uh, I, I kid, I kid, obviously. I don't know about personality but my soul you know (laughs) (laughs) that's questionable yeah no you you got the soul you know like a soul singer kind of has a soul oh that was my soul singer i'm sorry wow i subtract one soul point from you (laughs) i'm 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 not doing so well on the soul today apparently that was a that wasn't even a good attempt for my pathetic attempts either moving right along so in late 1962, Spectre would end up buying out his partner and become the sole owners of Phillies Records. Woo! And you know he'd put together you know a nice little team, you know, and they would start developing the Spectre Sound, aka the Wall of Sound, and they would start turning out number one hits. Oh shit! The Wall of Sound. Yeah, and so this was like brand new in this era where it was like. You know where you see those videos where there's like more instruments in a room that you feel like than you feel like there should be? Yeah. It it would be he basically did that and then like did like lots of overdubs to give you this really big, loud, full sound. Yeah, so just having the the sound waves be full and, you know, overwhelming, I guess is what it would be. The final product then, I guess, you know, the the full sound. It makes a lot of sense, I guess. Yeah, well, he would ride the wave of the wall of sound his whole career. The wall of sound. (laughs) I invented it, bro. Like, totally wall of sound, man. Which is pretty much just using multiple points on the stereo and, like, the layout, you know what I mean? Like, you could dub, like, far left, far right, and then have, like, a few in the middle and, you know, kind of layer them in, it seems like, what he would do. Well, and it would be, like, multiple microphones in the room. Sometimes they're not even, like, yeah. on instruments. They're just picking up the ambiance of the room yeah, itself. Yeah, the, the room area mics, yeah. Well, and we did notice that one song, like, all the vocals came through one earphone and, like... A, Other than, like, some strings would yeah. come into the right, but it was mainly vocals in the right. Yeah, it was it was interesting setup, that's for damn sure. Well, and so, like... You know, the wall of sound was inventive and other producers just start using it. And there's actually a sweet documentary about this time period with the musicians behind it. Yeah. It's called The Wrecking Crew. And it's just these musicians who would just have their instruments in their car and they'd go from one studio to the next, just recording, recording, recording. And these guys recorded like just a mil- just tons of hits, dude. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it's a really good documentary. Dude, check out this documentary, The Wrecking Crew. <laughs> yeah, go check it out. I, I'm actually going to check it out afterwards. I didn't see it while we were uh, prepping, so I'm definitely going to get to it this week, though. And so, in 63, the hit-making continues. They'd record songs like Why Do Lovers Break Each Other's Hearts by Bobby Sox and the Blue Jeans. Oh, yeah. 
Dadu Ron Ron by the Crystals. <laughs> Which is a really weird name, but a great song. Yeah, especially since like Dadu Ron Ron's like the backup vocals they sing. It's not even like the main chorus. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, <laughs> I've heard a lot of those phonetic titles before. I think this is just the the lowest, uh, like the lowest role. Well, you know what I mean? They, they tried, but they didn't do a good job. Dadu yeah. Ron Ron. It's a good song, though. Yeah. Be My Baby by the Ronettes. Oh, yeah. Then He Kissed Me by the Crystals again. Wait Till My Baby Gets Home, Darling Love. Baby, I Love You by the Ronettes again. And what some people consider the finest Christmas song ever, Christmas Baby Please Come Home, which is the last time I'll ever mention that because I fucking despise Christmas music. (laughs) Fuck this song. Yeah, this song does actually kind of suck. And it's mainly because of, I also am not a big fan of Christmas music. So <laughs> it's, Finally, we agree on something. Yeah, it's probably just some bias in our judgment. You guys might like this song and it'll probably, you know, it, you know, it won't go on the dude. Check out the song. But, you know, maybe you could check it on your own if you if you like Christmas music. Finally, our hatred of Christmas music has brought our friendship closer. <laughs> friendship level up. Hatred of Christmas music. <laughs> He'd also do You Lost That Love and Feeling by the Righteous Brothers. Come on. Oh, yeah. That's a fucking jam. I love that song. And if you guys haven't heard it, you've seen Top Gun. They fucking sing it in that song. <laughs> and, then we got- and if you haven't seen Top Gun, then just go watch Top Gun instead of listen to that song. <laughs> You'll get the point. <laughs> and then we got Walking in the Rain by the Ronettes again. Oh, Yes. In 1963, Spectre would get married to a lady named Annette, number one. I know her last name. Can't pronounce it. Oh, well, lay it on me anyways. I want to see you fail. (laughs) Marar. How is it spelled? M-E-R-A-R. Marar, yeah. It's probably actually Marar (laughs) or Marar or I don't know. It's probably Marar. And so during this time, he would end up recording 21 consecutive hits. Oh, shit, like 21 recordings of his in a row all became hits? Yeah, because everything was singles at this moment. That's fucking awesome. So, like, every single he recorded for 21 in a row was a fucking hit. Dude, that's how you do it right there. The wall sound, bro. The wall is sound. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I just put so many fucking mics in there, man. I just got, like, I got, like, 10 area mics in here. Well, and supposedly he was a millionaire by the age of 21. That's fucking awesome. And so, why don't we get to our next dude? Check out the song. Oh, yeah. Let's do it. We got Benny King, Spanish Harlem. The Crystals, he's a rebel. Bobby, socks and the blue jeans. Why do lovers break each other's hearts? The Crystals, Dadu Ron Ron. The Ronettes, Be My Baby. And you can't forget the Righteous Brothers. You've got that love and feeling. I got to say, that's got to be one of our best like single like line of dude, check out the songs that we've probably ever had because it's more than one artist and it's just so many good like pop songs. Like it's great pop songs. Yeah, you know? exactly. It, classics, you know? Yeah, it's, it, it's like the best movie soundtrack songs you can imagine all in a row. Even Dottie Ron Ron with your stupid name. Well, and so, of course, throughout, you know, as the 60s keep winding on, other music's coming in. His music not doing quite so hot, right? You know, it's, the 60s was a start- hard shift on music, too. <laughs> Especially once you get past, like, 62, yep. 63. We've talked about this so many times. 62 to 65 and the things that happen are, you know, revolutionary. So, And so, in 1966, he ended up getting divorced. Aww. Allegedly having an affair with a woman named Veronica Bennett. Aww. 
who is Veronica Bennett, you might ask? I, no, I was going to, but no, you asked yourself. I'm, I'm good at that. Alrighty, and wh- who is she? The lead singer of the Ronettes. <laughs> oh, it's, the, it's that beehive haircut, Be- man. It's oh, so sexy. <sighs> I can't hang, man. <laughs> beehive me, baby. It's hot in here. <laughs> <laughs> and so in 1964, you know, going back in time a little bit, you know, a good thing to, you know, establish a little timeline here. The Beatles were set to appear on the Ed Sullivan Show, and they would ask Spectre, who was in London at the time, to tell them about New York City and what they could expect. They even asked Spectre to join them on the flight to the United States. Oh, yeah. And when they arrived at John F. Kennedy Airport, Spectre was able to observe firsthand the crowds of screaming fans welcoming the Beatles. <laughs> Hell yeah. Which is funny because it's basically the band that cut into his profits. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> this, they're like, hey, ride with us. And they're like, we're about to ruin your career, bro. <laughs> and then 1966, you know, after the divorce, I guess, kind of goes on a period of isolation you know, some people would say that this was because of his Ike and Tina Turner song, River Deep, Mountain High. <laughs> Definitely not making the list. Oh, yeah. Some people really like the song. I don't get it. Yeah, yeah I'm not a big Tina Turner fan myself. So. You like Tina Turner? Check that song out yourself. <laughs> yeah, you do your own Google search. But like I said, a lot of it was probably because of, you know, the British invasion. You know, like the Beatles, Rolling Stones. Yep. Which are all becoming massively popular at this point. And another reason was, well, the music industry was changing and listeners wanted a full-length album instead of singles. Oh, yeah, that makes sense because it was the whole, like, LP jump right now where where yep. singles and short records were Where it really selling. became popular to do a full album. Yeah, and that kind of comes on the back of, like, a recording equipment, or not recording equipment, but replay equipment becoming more likely to be in the home, where they start having home record players more, so therefore people weren't wanting to buy the, the three tracks or the singles or anything anymore. They wanted the full album. Yeah, and then they didn't have to use the dial thing, yeah, or the, or the exactly. crank, you know, to the whole time to listen to the record. Because <laughs> you're going to get in the, 60, the late 60s soon, in the early 70s, where it started being, you know, like the headphone era, where you put on an LP, sit with the headphones. <laughs> with the with the snotty little kid who's listening to Led Zeppelin. Yeah, going, exactly. I'll do the garbage later, Dad! Yeah, while well, he's in his egg chair from fucking... <laughs> 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 you know, it's like big round chairs that are just like an egg. <laughs> yeah. I can already see it now. <laughs> or a beanbag chair, one of the two. Oh, just after this album, Dad. You don't understand who I am. This music speaks to me. <laughs> I'll grow my hair out as long as I want. I don't care if you went to Vietnam. I'm not going to military school. God. <laughs> In 1969, Phil Spector would marry Veronica Bennett, and she would change her name to Ronnie at this point. Oh, from <laughs> the, the lady from the Ronettes? Yeah. Change her name to Ronnie? Yep. Is that like, that's like a, a power play, like, they're like, we were all, we were all different names, and we were in the Ronettes together, but now I'm Ron, so therefore, you, the band's named after me, like, posthumously, well, not posthumously, because she's not dead, but you know what I mean. And so... In 1969, he'd return to the business. He's back, baby. He'd record the song Black Pearl for Sonny Charles and the Checkmates. Oh, shit. And so I've been kind of uh, leaving something out on you. Oh, yeah? But things are starting to take a turn here, so it seems like an appropriate time to mention oh, it. Oh, God damn it. Is he going to slash somebody with a razor? Well, let's just say he was quite fond of guns. 
Oh, he's not going to slash anybody with a razor. It's going to be worse. All he's right. going to slash somebody with a gun. <laughs> all right. Tell me all about it. Well, supposedly this fondness of guns came from when he was in the uh, teddy bears. He's there on tour in the bathroom somewhere taking a piss and some guys beat him up and pissed on him. So suddenly he's like, I think I need a piss. I need protection. Yes, I can bust a cap on these guys. So I guess from then on, he wouldn't go anywhere without his gun and bodyguards. Oh, geez. (laughs) I don't mind if people like own guns and do whatever, but if you don't go anywhere without your gun, like that's a, that's an issue. It's a tool just like a pocket knife or something, bro. (laughs) Yeah. You you don't need a pocket knife all the time either, bro. I actually need it quite often, but that's because of my job. (laughs) I actually don't have mine on me. Weird, I feel naked. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Pat's going to kill me today. Yeah, I know you it. You can't stop me from slashing you now. <laughs> Not if I do it first. Oh, no. <laughs> Lead Belly would be disappointed in you. You don't have your slashing razor with you. In 1970, John Lennon and George Harrison would ask him to produce an album they abandoned that they called at the time Get Back. Like a Beatles album or like their independent stuff? Beatles. Oh, shit. I mean, it would be their last album, but, you know. <laughs> oh, it would be the Beatles' last album? Yeah. Oh, shit. You know, he, he'd use his little techniques as wall of sound. and Yeah. He would actually, I guess, make significant changes to the album and rename it to Let It Be. Oh, shit. Widely regarded as the weakest release of their career. <laughs> yeah, because it was about to be the last one. <laughs> well... I didn't look too hard into this because I didn't want to get on a big old, uh, you know, like Beatles thing. So I guess like Paul McCartney got quite pissed off with this recording because he wanted to make some production changes and he wasn't allowed to. Oh, shit. And I guess this started a lot of infighting. You know, I'm pretty sure they were already fighting at the time, too. Yeah. And, you know, shortly after this album, they broke up. So, you know, could this have been the catalyst that ended the Beatles? Yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> Phil Spector's in there somewhere. I mean, needless to say, no matter how terrible the album might have been, it's sold like crazy, of course. Yeah, because it's a fucking Beatles album. <laughs> yeah. Some jackass is still buying it today, I bet. Actually, I shouldn't say some jackass because it's probably like your parents and stuff. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, my parents already own it. They don't need to buy it. <laughs> they can find that on Spotify, right? <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm sure you can find it on Spotify. But this wouldn't be the last time Phil Spector would work with members of the Beatles, right? Yeah. In 1971, him and George Harrison would produce a song called Bangladesh, or as George Harrison so calls it, Bangladesh. <laughs> we were talking about this right before we started recording. It's it's just the worst thing. Like, I don't know if Bangladesh is like a, a, a European pronunciation or whatever, but... Or maybe Bangladesh is just an American version of how they pronounce yeah, their no, country. I mean, we, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, we're probably the bastardized version. I wasn't trying to imply any superiority there, but if it's really Bangladesh, why didn't we all just know that from the beginning? Also, uh, I believe Ian made the joke that maybe it was because he was holding a bong, but I, I... I did make that joke, actually. Yeah, so I, I think we'll skip over that joke, but... Uh, high-quality jokes coming from yep, this microphone. Yeah, high fives over here. <laughs> He would also go on to record the album, The Concert for Bangladesh. <laughs> now I'm saying <laughs> <laughs> No, stick with me. <laughs> and this would reach number one. 
And he'd use his unique technique of the wall of sound. Wall of sound. <laughs> but I guess he did use 44 microphones to record the live performance. <laughs> well, that's pretty impressive. That's a lot of microphones. Can you imagine the amount of setup that would take? I couldn't even imagine. Like, because feedback between like a few mics is pretty easy to do. I don't even imagine. Yeah, how but bad these it could mics be. weren't like outputting any sound they were just recording so oh, i guess that's a good point yeah they weren't they weren't like looping it through any uh amps or anything like that so yeah i just i'm just thinking about the setup and the, <laughs> and the, like, the mixing yeah think about the board dude you'd have to have 44 labels on each uh, lever <laughs> well i assume some of them are low and high and you know you got air mics and stuff like that i don't know <laughs> but can you imagine if you mislabeled one of the chords and you're like turn up uh, move the mic for this no, I said this mic. No, 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 you're doing the wrong mic. No, stop. <laughs> you been leaning on it and actually like shifting a whole bunch of Oh no. Oh no. I just did I just fucked up half of it. Phil Spector is a pro producer. Okay, he would never do that. He totally did that. I no, I, he did at least once. Early on in his career, maybe. <laughs> I'm gonna do it to us right now. <laughs> I couldn't mimic myself being small. I was trying to quiet. figure out how to do that too. <laughs> uh, I, we could have just turned ourselves down, but we have everything tuned in that we don't. We should just don't touch it. Don't touch it again. And he'd also go on to record Harrison's other album, All Things Must Pass. All Things Must Pass. And this was an orchestrated triple album, apparently. I actually haven't listened to this one. Yeah, I, I've never listened to it. I'm not a big Beatles fan, I'll be honest about it, and I'm definitely not a big post-Beatles, Beatles members fan, so... I grew up on the Beatles and George Harrison, so I'm quite familiar with most of the stuff he's done. Yeah. In fact, out of all the other Beatles members, you know, he's kind of got the best music career afterwards. Whatever, shut up, you love Ringo. <laughs> Damn it, I wanted to make a Ringo joke. <laughs> <laughs> I got there first. Luckiest drummer in the world, follows by Lars Ulrich number two. <laughs> and this is where Ian just talks shit about musicians. <laughs> yeah, Ian, Ian's shit talking hour. I'm not jealous of their money or anything. Come on now. Nope, no, no. Nope. <laughs> but he'd also record with John Lennon. He'd do the Plastic Ono Band album. <laughs> Don't listen to it. Don't do it. Don't do it. But he'd also record the single for John Lennon, Power to the People, and then do his Imagine album. Oh, yeah, and Imagine is actually, like, a really popular album. And I believe there's some songs on there that don't completely suck. Uh, I've actually never listened to that album. Me neither, but I was trying to be positive here, Ian. And now we get to our next dude. Check out the song, George Harrison, Bangladesh. Bangladesh. And so his wife, Ronnie would claim that Spectre controlled every move of her life and subject her to, to, to emotional distress while they were married. Aw, shit. So in 1974, they split. Splitty-witty. Ronnie reportedly forfeited all of future recording earnings because apparently Spectre threatened her with a hitman. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, shit. You don't do that. <laughs> like... This is when things start getting crazy here. Yeah, yeah I would say so. You don't Stra do that. Strap in for the roller coaster ride. Yeah, hit me with it. In 1974, he would get into a serious car crash. I don't know if this was before or after the marriage, but it doesn't matter because he was still being an asshole to his wife before then. 
He was about to be declared dead on the scene when one of the police officers detected a faint pulse. He was admitted to the hospital with serious head injuries and underwent several hours of surgery. Oh, shit. So, like, th- he was ba- almost dead. Like, Yeah, it, it was he was donezo gunzo. Oh, for sure. And then they had to save him. Like, they could have just... <laughs> <laughs> they had to. No, no, no. Damn, Ian. After this, you'll agree with me. They <laughs> okay. should have just let him die all right, right there. All right, let's go, Ian. And so... Eventually, the members of the Beatles would, uh, you know, stop using him. (laughs) Maybe one incident was when Lennon hired him to record a rock and roll cover songs album, right? Yeah. Inspector would routinely arrive late to the studio, high on amyl nitrate, which is a muscle relaxant, I found out. (laughs) (laughs) So he's doing doing the Gumby, huh? Yeah. And apparently, he would just do this all the time, just like show up late, whatever he felt like. And I guess he would wear elaborate costumes. Like he would one night be a surgeon and the next a karate expert. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds terrible and amazing at the same time. You're like music producer. You're waiting on him. He's supposed to be all serious. He shows up as a fucking surgeon or a karate expert. Like, dude. But the thing is, is all these costumes, he always had his pistol on his hip. Oh, of course he did. Get out of here, crazy Phil Spector, with your pistol and your karate outfit. And so one night, for a really sweet, awesome prank, he fired the gun into the control room, inches from John Lennon's ear. Oh, my God. <laughs> Lennon would yell at him, Phil, if you're going to kill me, kill me, but don't fuck with my ears. I need them. <laughs> Another time, apparently, he would pull out his gun and chase John Lennon through the hallways of the studio. Oh, my God. (laughs) What the fuck? That's amazing. (laughs) Two fucking junkies chasing each other. (laughs) (laughs) This this story wouldn't be nearly as good if it wasn't the Beatles that were involved. (laughs) Well, and so I guess even after Spectre would disappear with the master tapes for this recording. Oh, shit. And Capitol Records, the label for John Lennon, wouldn't get him back until they paid Spectre $90,000 for it. Holy shit. Lennon would call this album jinxed, and he would say of Spectre, I'm fond of his work, his personality I'm not crazy about. <laughs> That's awesome. 90000 He held the album hostage. That's so brutal. For $90,000. Well, you gotta do what you gotta do. Crazy fucking stuff. It was a John Lennon album. They probably knew it would make a lot of money anyway. Yeah, exactly. No matter what the quality was. <laughs> Which was probably not great because it was a John Lennon album. Well, and this wouldn't be the only people he supposedly held guns to. Like, I guess he did it to, like, women he'd meet at the bar. <laughs> <laughs> like, Leonard, random people. Yeah. Leonard Cohen, Debbie Harry. Leonard Cohen. Yeah, <laughs> Leonard Cohen. Isn't and that Deb- dude, like, super nice? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Debbie Harry of Blondie. <laughs> what the fuck? And even uh, the Ramones. <laughs> a bunch of punk guys yeah, yeah just fuck you i'll shoot you all <laughs> no so i guess this is how the story goes is dd ramon gets up he's like i'm tired i'm going back to the hotel he pulls a gun on him and goes you're going nowhere and he goes so shoot me and he walks out of the studio <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah and the album he recorded not a good Ramones album. Of course not, dude. They, he was holding him at gunpoint for the album. You can't record a good album at gunpoint. Well, and of course, he was known to hold guns to his ex-wife, Ronnie Spector. What a fucking piece of shit. 
<laughs> Did I tell you to strap in? Man, I'm going to strap this guy in with my strap. Seriously, though, I could probably do a whole episode of just stories of him holding guns to people. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, and so, you know, he started to become, like, detached from music, extremely reclusive. Some might say deranged. You know, my oh, words, shit, nobody man. else's. Yep. And so, you know, like I mentioned, you know, he'd, like, do the Ramones and Blondie and stuff. But, you know, this is, like, way different than doing, like, super mega hits yeah. or the Beatles, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely different. So he's getting a lot more out there with his stuff. In the 80s, he would have a longtime girlfriend named Janice Zavala. I really hope I'm pronouncing Zavala. that right. Zavala. And they would have a son and a daughter, daughter named Audrey Spector and son named Philip Spector Jr. Oh, shit. Unfortunately, Junior would die of leukemia in 1991. Oh, that's fucked up. Yeah, dude, little kid dying of leukemia. And having a piece of shit gun-toting dad? I don't know. A gun-toting dad sounds like a lot of fun when you're six years old. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways. (laughs) Dad, let's play Cowboys and Indians. No, I'm too busy pointing this gun at your mom. (laughs) It doesn't sound fun, Ian. Too busy threatening your mom with this. He wasn't dialogue. around for that. It was when she was in the studio and she wouldn't sing right. <laughs> Let's play house. What are you doing? I'm getting my dad's gun. <laughs> <laughs> and last effort to get out of hell is gone. <laughs> Anyways, let's let's just let's smoothly transition out of this whatever this is. Well, Phil Spector would win many awards over the years. He'd be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1989, the Songwriters Hall of Fame in 1996, because, you know, he helped co-write, like, all of his early hits. That's how he got so rich. Yeah. The Lifetime Achievement Award from the Philadelphia Music Alliance, probably the best one right there. Hell yeah. So, you know, he'd go through the 90s. Not really do a whole lot. Not not really hold pe- a lot of people up with guns or anything like that. I'm sure he did, but I, you know, it was just so common at this point they weren't <laughs> even keeping track of it anymore. I mean, every time you pulled a gun out, people just went, "Oh, you, oh, Mister <laughs> Spectre, quit pointing that firearm, at you me. silly goose." <laughs> On February second, two thousand three, Phil Spectre would attend the House of Blues. He'd meet an actress who was also a waitress there, working in the VIP area, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it was at this point that it's understood that he ditched the date he had so he could accompany Lana after she finished her shift. (laughs) They would head back to his home later that night. Next day, her body was found slumped in a chair with a single gunshot wound to her mouth. What the fuck? Yeah. Holy shit, are you serious? Dead serious. So he just, like, shot her? Well, according to him, it was an accidental suicide. So he tried to... Yeah, she accidentally put my gun in her mouth and then died when I shot and her? She accidentally put my gun in her mouth while trying to be sexy and then accidentally shot herself. That was his defense, basically. That is a terrible defense. So Spectre would actually remain free on bail for $1 million. You know, not a small fee, but, you know, he's got a ton of money, right? Yeah, he can afford it. And his trial would begin on March 19th, 2007. Presiding Judge Larry Paul Fiddler allowed the proceedings in Los Angeles' Superior Court to be televised. Oh, shit. That's not a good sign. On September 26, 2007, 
Fiddler declared a mistrial because of a hung jury. Oh, shit. And so, you know, he got to go free for a little longer. Yeah. Until his second trial beginning on October 20th, 2008, with Judge Fiddler presiding again. Wow, that's actually pretty recent. Yeah. And the retrial was not televised this time. And the case would go to the jury on March 26, 2009. 18 days later, on April 13th, the jury would return with a guilty verdict. Fuck yeah. Fucking burn in prison. <laughs> burn in prison, you bastard. <laughs> in addition to the murder, he was also found guilty of using a firearm in the commission of a crime. Oh, shit. Adding four years to his sentence. <laughs> and he was immediately taken into custody and sentenced to 19 years to life in the California state prison system. Burn in prison. Burn in prison. And so on January 16th, 2021. Wait, like, like very recently. Very recently. He would die. Oh, I, I was going to say that's sad, but it's not. Burn in prison and now hell. You want to know what his death was? Uh, yeah, obviously. We got all this all this way. COVID-19. <laughs> Best thing COVID-19 ever did. In prison? <laughs> In prison. Oh. That shouldn't make me laugh as much as it does. Seriously, best thing COVID nineteen ever did. Ooh, what the fuck? Oh my god! I I obviously don't really like you know. I'm not trying to celebrate anybody's death, but this guy's still a piece of shit. He's such a piece of that's shit. That's so ironic with just like everything that's going on. Finally, you know. I've <laughs> oh yeah, I, I I accept that as a as a certain level of irony. So. I didn't even put his uh, burial site in here because you know what? I did not care enough to look. I hope he doesn't have a grave site or a headstone. <laughs> <laughs> not even Janis Joplin can save you, you bastard. <laughs> you died too late. Oh, my God. Uh, I don't even know how I'm supposed to have a final thoughts about this episode, Ian. I, you know what? Me neither. <laughs> you know what? I'm just going to keep it nice and, and simple here. I, I know we've covered this uh, a few times before. Don't be a gun-toting jack-off. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, having a firearm or a weapon of any kind and being in a po position of power over somebody who's weaker than you does not make you a badass. It makes you pathetic. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, and no matter where you stand on the gun laws a gun is a fucking responsibility you can't just fucking point it at people yeah exactly so if you have that responsibility take it fucking seriously a gun's not a fucking toy don't play with it like a toy and pose with it i've seen too many fucking pictures of jackasses out here with their gun like posing with it and you know it's not a fucking puppy <laughs> it's it's not a toy it's not something you just fucking use it as a tool like it's supposed to be yeah when the gun bites back after you pet it it's <laughs> yeah. gonna hurt a lot more yeah exactly i don't know it's it's just ridiculous everybody out there just be reasonable people with your existences if you have a firearm treat it with respect and if you are a reasonable person, you should give us five stars on whatever platform you're listening to. Yeah, and treat us like a firearm with a little bit of respect and, uh, you know, tell your friends to use this as well. <laughs> don't, don't stick us into anyone's mouth. <laughs> but do it safely. Yep. <laughs> Please you, practice safe podcast sharing. Yeah, exactly. 
And of course, you know, as always, tell your friends, your family, your loved ones, people you don't know on the street, anyone. Uh, just don't do it with a gun in their mouth. Uh, that's not worth five stars. Everything else is, though. We love you. Good night.